welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more messages and resources, please visit allpeoples.com or download our free All People's Church app. This is how church should be every Sunday, right here. Might be a little hotter. We might need to buy a few more air conditions. I love being out at Desert Days. My whole family was there. You know, we had some of the usual youth camp antics, pies and faces, vinegar and ketchup drinking contests, those kind of things. But um, I, I do want to say I've been at scores of youth camps. This was the most powerful one I've ever seen. And God is doing something incredible among our young people. We are so proud of you. There's some people we want to thank uh, this morning. First of all, we had an incredible group of camp counselors, uh, different ones volunteering. Can I have the, the counselors stand up, our youth leaders? If you're one of our youth leaders, you stand up. Very thankful for these amazing men and women of God. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if, uh, if you've ever been to youth camp, but usually uh, you're eating refried french fries the whole time, and uh, this was the first camp I've ever been to that we had tri-tip, and uh, so we want to we thank Glenn Fromang, uh, Dan Vanderwall, Sierra Tony, or any of you guys here, any of you, they're probably still cooking right now, so, uh, but we want to give them a big thank you. They, uh, you might not know this, we don't go to a camp that's all set up for us. Our church puts on the whole camp. And so these guys do their own programming, do their own cooking, do the whole thing. Our worship team was out the whole time. We're so blessed. Our worship team that you had this morning has done like six sessions this week. So these guys are amazing. And we want to thank uh, our youth pastors, Joel and Dana Sanders. We love them. And... Joel's assistant, Casey. Where's Casey? Casey Jungers, is she in here? She was leading us in the dance. Absolutely amazing. So these guys are absolutely incredible. And, and coming off of this sermon uh, series on spiritual maturity, I wanted to focus in on this next generation this morning. My sermon's entitled, Spiritually Mature People Invest in the Next Generation. Spiritually mature people invest in the next generation. And I want to say these guys are worthy of our investment. I'm reminded of, 
of what happened two years ago, I, I was able to cross something off my bucket list. It's something I wanted to do my whole life in between our training school outreach and a scouting trip in South Africa. You guys know we're planting uh, all people South Africa this coming year. But in between that, I was able to take my son on a camera safari in a, in a national park. And we were in one of those big Jeeps, and I just want to tell you, going to see rhinos in a Jeep is a little different than the San Diego Zoo. And we got so close, and I'm thinking, well, certainly the driver knows what he's doing until the rhino charged us, and he had to throw on the, he had to slam the accelerator, and we all cruised out with this rhino with this massive horn came at us. And, you know, in a, that, that experience made it all the, the more poignant when I heard the story about how rhinos had been killed in the Planisburg National Park. So here's, here's what had happened. In Kruger National Park, probably the most famous national park in Africa, elephants had began overpopulating. And so, you know, that just started to destroy the ecosystem. And so the rangers had to come up with a plan to solve this overpopulation problem. And so they decided to transport elephants. Now, transporting an elephant, how do you move an elephant? Uh, not that it sounds like a joke, right? Uh, how, do you, how do you move an elephant? Well, they made harnesses and would actually fly them out with helicopters. However, these harnesses would break as they tried to get heavier elephants, so they ended up just moving the female elephants and the juvenile bulls. They moved them into this new uh, national park called Palanisburg, but they soon found that they were having a problem. Uh, these different white rhinos that are endangered were being found uh, killed. At first they thought it was poachers, but on a, cl a closer inspection they realized that these rhinos hadn't been shot and that their long horns on their nose, which are precious, worth a lot of money, weren't being removed. And so they put cameras through the park and what they realized is it was actually the young juvenile bull elephants that were chasing down these rhinos, stomping them and then goring them to death for fun, for sport. They thought, what is this very abnormal behavior? Elephants are usually more kind of the gentlemen of the jungle. And so what is going on here? And so as, as they started studying this, the different rangers came up with this theory that it was the lack of mature bull rhinos modeling normal, I mean, the lack of mature bull elephants modeling normal pachyderm behavior. And so they decided that the, the solution would be importing the old mature bull elephants. And so they came up with stronger harnesses, flew in several bull elephants, and immediately the young juvenile elephants who had been marauding and destroying the rhinos stopped doing it. It immediately became peaceful. What they learned is the elephants needed mentoring. Now, a sociologist came upon this and noticed a similar thing was happening in Central Park in New York. All of a sudden, the crime rate uh, went out the roof, and these young bands of, of gang members were going and harassing women violently and robbing them. And the cameras even showed that these men were laughing and, and kind of jeering each other on. It was becoming this mob mentality. Well, immediately, the 
uh, surrounding neighbors started asking for more policemen, started demanding that there would be uh, an increase in law enforcement agents. And the wise sociologist said, actually, that's not the answer. The answer is we need more father figures. We need more mentors. These young men haven't been taught appropriate male behavior. How many know that the next generation needs to be taught? The next generation needs to be mentored. I love these guys' hands going up. You know, this is the message of the Bible. This is the message of Scripture is that we have to look to the next generation. I, I, I saw a powerful illustration of this while we were playing dodgeball. Of course I jumped in and played dodgeball and, and was out there with, with the different uh, guys. This was our guy time. I think the girls were off coloring. Um, so they're much more civilized than we are. Girls were doing something productive while we were bashing each other's heads in. Uh, so here we are playing dodgeball, and, and one of our, our great uh, athletic guys, he's uh, been a part of uh, one of the athletes from Crawford, uh, comes and just, this guy has an arm, he throws the ball, waylays one of our junior hires, accidentally hits him in the head. And so our team immediately starts pointing at him. It's okay, the story gets good. Our team starts pointing at him, yelling, foul, foul, foul. Now, here's what he does. Instead of bowing up in pride, instead of starting to debate our team, he immediately does this. I see his shoulders go like this. And I see him run forward to this junior hire and go, are you okay? Are you okay? This tenderness, this big brother compassion comes over him. It stops our whole game. My heart is melted by this. I go up to him afterwards. I put my arm around him. I say, Rashid, bro, amazing. I said, Rashid, do you have any idea what kind of role model you were to all those guys out there? And he just humbly said, thanks. I, I, I walk off and I'm talking to, to some of our leaders and I'm going, I am blown away by what Rashid just did out there. And they said, you know, a couple years ago, that wouldn't have been what he did. He said, but John Ferreira, who leads our Crawford Christian Club, said he really got into Rashid's life, became a big brother to him. They've spent tons of time together. He's nodding with a big grin on his face. He said he basically took him in as family. And he said, Rashid's life has changed. And Rashid now is setting the culture of our young men, of love. I've watched... You know, I, I saw in the back row, I was seeing in the back row, you know, our, our guys standing in the back. And when I was in high school, man, it was like too cool for school, standing in the back. I look up in the back row and Rashid's just pressing in, in worship. Rashid would tell you he's not perfect. But John's investment in his life has transformed him. And now Rashid is a student leader, has been our student leader at the Christian Club on Crawford High School. You know, we desperately need the next generation to be invested in by the former generation. That's my story. In high school, I had grown up in church, but I wasn't living for Jesus. I mean, I had been there since I was born. I, I knew the, the right things, but I wasn't living it. Listen, listen to this verse in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, because this is Jesus' methodology 
Verse 19, it says, therefore go and make disciples. Say, make disciples. Make disciples. Of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey. Say, obey, church. Everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus came, and his primary way of transforming the world was discipleship. I mean, think of all the powers that Jesus had at his disposal, and yet the way that he decided to change the world was to gather some young men that smelled like fish and live with them and simply model the kingdom lifestyle. It was messy. It was sloppy. They, they were doing dumb things at times. At times they were like, Jesus, I don't like that city. Can we blow it up? Jesus said, no, no, no. That's, that's not what we're going to do, right? And other times they were judging people. And other times they were like, keep the kids away. We're not kid people. Jesus said, no. He was always rebuking these guys. But little by little, their lives were changing until they became men who the Bible said turned the world upside down. Jesus' methodology for changing the world was discipleship. In high school, I had grown up a Christian. I had heard so many sermons by the time I was 17, 18, but I wasn't living for Jesus. And I remember having a retreat, much like you guys just had, at my church. And in the middle of the retreat, I still don't know how he did this, but my youth leader pulled me aside and said, hey, do you want to go get frozen yogurt? I said, of course I want to get frozen yogurt. Yogurt, excuse me. So we go, and we, get, we leave the retreat for a few minutes and go get frozen yogurt. And as we're walking out with our little cones in our hand, there's a group of street kids. I mean, these kids are rough. They're smoking. They're cursing on the street. And I watch the youth leader start walking up to them. And I'm like, no, don't do that. We're church people. And instead, he walks right up to them and engages them in conversation. And I'm thinking they're going to just curse him out. And instead, as he engages them, and starts talking to them, they were completely soft-hearted, and they could tell that he loved them. Then he shares the gospel with these guys. Now, I'd heard all my life, you know, you need to, to, to preach the gospel, but I hadn't seen it. And here's this guy doing that. I'm blown away by, by this guy's life, what he's modeling before me. He finally walks away, and we're walking, and he looks at me and goes, you know, Robert, you're a leader. And I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> thanks, man. You know, I'm feeling pretty good. And he goes, and you're going to lead people in one of two directions. You're going to either lead them to Jesus or you're going to lead them on a pathway straight to hell. He goes, you need to decide what way you're going in life because people are going to follow you. You know, that shook me in that moment. That hit me. I've never had an, an older guy challenge me like that. And you know, that moment was a, a defining moment for my whole life. You know, it, it would be a while before I really learned to walk with God day by day, but that was the day that I decided I don't want my life to lead people to hell. I want to lead people to the source of everlasting life. That man changed me, and I want to tell you that God is calling us in this room to be that kind of guy for some younger person. That was Jesus' methodology. That's what Jesus did. And, you know, I'm so impacted by how this is the story of the New Testament. I think about this young man. You know, he had a lot of talents, a lot of gifts, a lot of abilities. 
but he had some major problems. All of you youth, you, you know someone like this, where you see them and you're like, they're gifted. Maybe they're a gifted athlete or they're a gifted student, but you go, they got an anger issue. They're, they're aggressive. They've got some violence, and that's going to that's gonna mess them up. This young man, man, he, he, was, he was sharp. But around 10 years old, he was sent from, from his country to another country. And, and, and perhaps one of the reasons he ended up this way is that he grew up outside of his father's home for years. I, I'm, I'm just guessing, I'm just speculating that this might have been one of the reasons why he was so harsh. And, and, and because in his young man years, he starts abusing Christians and he starts persecuting them. And he's even having them thrown in jail. He even has some of them killed. And so everyone wanted to stay away from this, this young, aggressive, violent thug, really. I mean, he acted, you know, on one side he acted religious, but on the other side he was killing people. And so much like God, you know, God sees the goal. And God is a God of second chances. And so this guy has this encounter with Jesus. Not when he's in the midst of being good, but when he's in the midst of hunting down people to kill them. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Can, can I just tell you, if you're in this room and you're living a dark life, Jesus still wants to meet you where you're at. He's not waiting for you to clean up to come to him. He's hunting you down today. That's why you're in church. So he has this encounter with Jesus. The problem is no Christians want to do anything with him. I mean, they, they want to stay back. They, they want to avoid him. But fortunately, there was one man, and God spoke to his heart, and though this guy even argued with God, he's like, God, I don't want to mess with that young, violent, aggressive guy that's killing Christians. He was obedient. His name was Ananias. And so Ananias goes, he he finds this young man who's just had an encounter with God. He puts his hand on him. He prays for him. God touches him. He baptizes this young man, prophesies a destiny over him, and leaves. This one encounter. Well, this man, he's still, none of the Christians want to deal with him. He ends up going off for, for some time, not being brought into the community because people just don't believe that this man, this evil could change. But there was another man, and, and, and this man, he saw the gold in this, this violent young guy. And he goes, he actually leaves his country, and he goes and brings him back to his city where a revival's breaking out, and he goes, I, I, I've got to train this young man because I actually see gifts in his life that he could be used to advance the church. And he pours into him. This, this older man's name was Barnabas. And Barnabas puts up with this aggressive zealot who's hurt a lot of his friends. And he forgives them, and he trains them, and he raises them up. And Barnabas becomes responsible for launching the most powerful apostle in Christianity into his ministry. This young man's name was Paul. And Paul, a thug, Paul, a violent man, Paul, cruel, harsh, ends up being used to write 14 books of the Bible. Used to preach all over the earth, used to start many churches. You know, when I hear that story, when I think about that, it makes me think, you know, I want to be an Ananias to someone. God, what would, would you speak to me about someone that maybe everyone else is writing off? God, give me eyes to see like Ananias saw. Speak to my heart. Let me be sensitive because just in a moment, one day, one encouraging moment could alter someone's destiny. And it makes me think, I want to be like Barnabas. I, I, who knows who's raising up the next Billy Graham? 
You know, Billy Graham is about to pass away. If you don't know who Billy Graham is, he's been the most prolific evangelist on earth, spoken to millions of people, but he's about to pass away. Who's going to be the next Billy Graham? Do you know, men and women in this church, we could be the very person discipling the next Billy Graham? Right? Or Billy Sue Graham? This has always been the methodology of Jesus for, for transforming the world. And, and here's, the, here's the thing, I, we're still seeing it happen today. Like this is our methodology as a church. I'm, I'm thinking about one of our counselors that I just loved watching this week. It's Gabriel. Where is Gabriel? Down here somewhere. There he is back there. Gabriel, everywhere he goes, he's got the biggest smile on his face. He's, he's always encouraging Young man, I just, I, I love watching him, but many people don't know. Many of you might not know Gabriel's story. Gabriel, in high school, realized, hey, I, I've got to get away from, from my, my family because it, they're just so wrapped up in the, in the drug, drug culture. So he moved from Los Angeles and, and came down to San Diego and, and tried to live with some family down here to finish high school, Okay. I want to tell you, there's people that are just just trying to take that next step in life, and everything seems against them. That's how it seemed for, for Gabriel. Well, Gabriel ends up on the street. He ends up homeless in the midst of that. But a, a, a godly couple in our church decided to take him in and, and let, them, let him rent a room, Ed and Christine Fowler. Are you guys in here? There they are, right there. And Christine decided to take a chance on this young man. And I remember that the, the first week they came up and told me, hey, we have a, a new guy living with us and we're bringing him to church. Gabriel comes in and immediately experiences the love of God, the, the love of community, and gets radically saved. Then he comes to Joel. Joel's the, the youth pastor and, and, and wants to come to youth camp, but there's a problem. We have a no smoking policy at youth camp and he's addicted to tobacco. I know that's a rough policy we have at youth camp. So Joel says, I'm sorry, man. You're not going to be able to smoke at youth camp, but we'll pray for you. Gabriel gets prayed for, gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, and instantly set free from his tobacco addiction. God sets him on fire. And so much more important than getting free from a tobacco addiction, God sets them on fire, and he starts sharing his faith with others, and now he's making disciples. Um, one of the guys he disciples is Delete. Where's Delete? Right here. Um, we want to pray as a church for Delip because what you might not know is he's from a, a country, I'm not going to say it because it's being recorded, but he's from a country that's, uh, there are very few Christians. There's less than 3,000 in the whole country. And we're going to believe in that God's going to raise him up to impact his nation, which is one of the most unreached nations on earth. Um, what, what you might not know, in our youth group of under 100 people, 38 nations are represented. Some of them are the most unreached nations on earth. God is doing a miracle here in our midst. We're getting to, to, to watch a miracle. And through the power of the gospel, these guys are unified. If you would have been there, people, I'm actually hearing different groups walking around speaking different languages, but when they come together, they are one body. 
The Holy Spirit is breaking down walls. It's absolutely beautiful to watch. Now watch this. The Apostle Paul gives this charge to Timothy, and it's exactly what happened with Gabriel. Someone took Gabriel in, loved him, introduces him to Christ, and then Gabriel realizes, I need to pass that on to the leap, and the leap's going to pass that on to others. This is a, a biblical principle, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. It says this, And the things you've heard me say, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? Paul's saying this. Watch this. Paul's saying, now, Timothy, the things you've heard me say, Paul to Timothy, now you entrust this to reliable people who will be faithful to teach others. Paul is saying, this Christian faith, it's not just about me. Yeah, Paul, Paul's saying, yeah, I'm a preacher and I speak to crowds, but that's not the main way that this world's going to be changed. It's about me investing in you, Timothy. So Paul to Timothy, and then Timothy, you need to, th to find reliable people that you can invest in, and you need to train those reliable people to teach others. You see, that's four generations. And if you throw Barnabas in there that invested in, in Paul, that's five generations. The, the, the world is not going to be changed by just having more large group gatherings. If large group gatherings were going to save the whole world, it would have been saved a long time ago. The world's not going to be saved by, by having more Christian information. Like in our nation, we have more Christian information than we can shake a stick at, right? I mean, you got, you've got more books, you've got more apps, we got more podcasts, we got more conferences. What we need is not more information, what we need is more transformation. And transformation comes through obedience. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey. That my life needed discipleship so I could learn to obey. You know, I think most people in our nation know the difference between right and wrong. Going back to that story in Central Park, I bet if we would have gone to any of those gang members and said, is it wrong to sexually harass a young woman, every one of them would have said yes. But yet they were doing it. Why? Because they did not have modeling of being a righteous man and have accountability with someone saying that's wrong. Let me teach you how to live a God-honoring, true, manly lifestyle. We need the spiritual fathers, the spiritual mothers, the spiritual older brothers and older sisters modeling obedience to the next generation and then teaching them to impart it to the next generation. That's what we're teaching our youth. Youth, listen to me for a second. It's not enough that you came and had your lives impacted this weekend. Who are you going to give it away to? You know, so often we think, well, I, I, I'm, I'm immature, I, I, I'm not ready. You know, I, I'm not qualified. I think the main reason we don't make disciples in the church is we don't feel ready. Or we, we say, you know, I don't have it all together, or, or, or I feel broken. You know, like, I'm going to wait until my life's together before I, I pour it into someone else. Uh, one morning we were gathered as leaders, and I was so impacted by, by what Emilio said. Emilio, w wave your hand at us right here. Um, Emilio is, is one of our, our college leaders. He's been in, discipled in the college group, but I love that he knows it's not just for him to grow, it's to pour into others. And so Emilio was, was saying, you know, I had this opportunity. He goes, my, my father died in a car accident. And he goes, I'm, I'm still hurting and, and broken about that. I love that he was vulnerable. He's not saying, hey, I'm done with that. I'm, it's all happy, slappy now. He's like, I'm still in the midst of that. But I was able to sit down with another one of the young men who lost his father. And the comfort God's given me, I was able to speak into his life. 
You know, following Jesus doesn't make your life perfect, but it makes you powerful. It gives you power to take your imperfection mixed with the anointing of God and pour it into someone else. And that's the very thing Emilio was doing. He was taking his vulnerable life that that has had pain, but he has met God in the midst, and so he had something to give to someone else. You don't have to wait till you're perfect to start making disciples. You don't have to wait until you're so mature. You know, sometimes people say, "I, I, I just don't feel ready. I don't feel equipped. I don't have anything to give. Can I, can I tell you, I think when we say that, that's actually offensive to God. And here's why. Because you have something amazing to give. If you've given your life to Jesus, the Bible says the Holy Spirit's come and made his home in your heart. And so what do you have to give? You have the Holy Spirit to give. You have the living breathing life of God flowing through you. It's not about you. It's about him moving through you. You have that to give. Don't wait until your life is perfect. God wants to use you. It was so powerful to see. This has been our, our methodology as a church from the beginning. It's about discipleship. I, I loved watching you heard Demu's story up here. Our, our worship service was going on in the, in the uh, auditorium, and I was watching outside as Natasha from, from Haiti was discipling Damu from, from Thailand. And I was just like, man, I just wish I knew what they were talking about. I was just captivated by this conversation going on outside. And, and you know, they were doing all their hype stuff on stage, but I'm just watching them going, that is so amazing, and that's so cool, and that's such a picture of our church that has people from so many different nations, so many different backgrounds. And then they walk in and sit on the back row, and what I didn't know was that Joel was about to call Damu up front. And she comes up, and she shares that story. And first of all, her vulnerability just you know, left, left the room just quiet. You could have heard a pin drop as she talks about when I was born, my father didn't want me and wanted to give me away. We're, whoa, we're going there. And then she, she starts sharing about the abuse that she experienced. And then she talks about someone inviting her to Anchored Youth and how she met Jesus there. And how she feels that she has worth now. And she said, she says this phrase, she goes, I no longer want to kill myself. And she rocked us. I don't know if you've, you've been in a place where someone shares a testimony where it has such power that you feel like you're actually blown back. Or you feel like something just hit your chest. It felt like that in that moment. And what I, what I found out is that she was afraid to share, but, but Natasha had gone and through discipleship and loving her and speaking grace into her life and, and getting behind her, that she was able to get up and share, and she impacted the hundred of us that were in the room. That's the power of having a mentor come behind you and say, you can do it. I support you. I believe in you. I'm with you. Discipleship is what changes the world. This this is our plan. How are we going to change the world? How are we going to change our nation? You know, some people think, okay, if we can just win more people to the Lord at church services, and I'm all about that. I love people coming to know Jesus in our church services, but let me just, I just want to show you a little chart here in a minute. Don't put it up yet. Let's just take this. There's 300,000 Protestant churches in America right now. Most of them don't see one person come to the Lord a year. But let's just say we could get 100,000 of them to lead a person to the Lord a week. I mean, that would be a major move of God in our nation. 
So, so that would be 100,000 churches seeing one person come to know the Lord a week. Let's, how fast could we reach the whole world if we could just get 100,000 churches doing that? Let's put this chart up. Okay, if we had that happen, in the first year, we'd have 5,200,000 people reach for Jesus. That would be awesome. Okay, that would be pretty good. But let's take another strategy. What if we took one guy and just one guy led one person to the Lord and discipled them and taught them to lead one person to the Lord? Nay, would you stand up for a minute? This is Nay. Nay's one of our radical youth leaders. Let's just, let's do this. Let's put Nay against 100,000 churches. Okay, and let's see who wins. Nay is just going to win one person to the Lord a year, disciple them, and train them to lead a person to the Lord a year. And every person that's discipled is going to train just one person to lead one person to the Lord and disciple them to lead a person to the Lord. Well, in the, in the, in the second year, there are the churches, 100,000 churches have 10,400,000 new believers. Okay, they are just destroying Nay. Nay has three people. Okay. Three people. I mean, not, not bad, Nay, but you only got three. They got 10 million. Okay, let's look, at, let's look at year 10. At year 10, there's been 52 million people led to the Lord by these 100,000 churches. And let's see, at year 10, Nay, wow, Nay, you've actually had 1,000 people come to the Lord through your life. Okay, but that doesn't compare to 52 million. But let's look at year 30. Nay's strategy of multiplication of leading a person to the Lord a year, discipling them and teaching them to make disciples. At year, let's see, actually, let's go to year 30. There's 156 million people. That's it that the churches have led. There's 1 billion people that Nays led to the Lord. Now watch this. In three years from them, in, in year 33, the church, by this addition strategy, has only led 171 million people to the Lord. But name a man has led 8.58 billion people to the Lord. Thank you, Nay. You can sit down. Do you get the power of that? If every person in here just led one person to the Lord and discipled them and taught them to make disciples... Nay could do it in 33 years all by himself. Think how fast we could do it. I think God is just waiting for a church to grab hold of this strategy. Right? Just saying, would you make disciples? Like, guess what? Jesus was actually right. <laughs> Jesus actually had the right idea. It was about making disciples. Making disciples changes the world. So I, I, I know that many, many people, you know, they, they say, uh, the, the reason I don't do it is I don't feel equipped. You know, I, I just, I don't quite feel equipped. So in the, in the last six minutes here, I'm going to equip you to impact the next generation. Okay? If you listen, you will be equipped in six minutes to make an impact. You guys ready for this? I'm going to start with a, a, a one-liner that will change someone's life. How do you start? How do you start impacting the next generation? Listen, this is a profound one-liner. You start by looking. You look around and you look for, for a young person that you can impact. Maybe, maybe they don't have many people around them. And this is what you do. You walk up to them and you say this. Hey, 
how you doing? If you want to be more formal, you can say, hey, how are you doing? Right? I'm serious. This one-liner will change someone's life. Why? Because there's so many young people that don't think anyone cares about them. There's so many that don't have a loving mother or loving father or loving older brother or loving older sister. And if you just go up and pay attention to them and you just acknowledge them, hey, how are you doing? That will impact them. Wow, someone cares. We think it's how much we know. They want to know how much you care. So you go up and say, hey, how are you doing? And you know what? If they don't make eye contact with you, go, don't say, oh, it didn't work. You know, I have three little boys in my family. I'm a godly dad. I'm a pastor. And they still don't make eye contact with people when I talk to them. So how, how are the rest of the world, how are they going to make eye contact with you? We've got to train them. So you say, hey, how are you doing? Here's the next line. You want to take it deeper. You say this. Hey, how are you doing? My name is Robert. Now, don't say your name's Robert if it's not Robert. <laughs> you say your name. What's your name? You actually get to know their name. I, I, I just want to tell you, don't ever underestimate the power of kindness. Don't ever underestimate the power of intentionality. And then you want to take it to the next level. Encourage them. We're in an encouragement famine in this generation. We're in an encouragement famine. And so you can go up. I give you permission in this church to go up to someone you don't even know and encourage them, especially young people. Like, go up and encourage them. What do I say to them? You know what you can say this morning? You can walk up to one of these youth and say, wow, I saw you up front worshiping. That was awesome. You know, because there's a lot of youth that aren't worshiping. So you see someone doing that, catch them doing something good. Catch them doing something good. Hey, you know, you, and maybe you didn't see them worshiping. At least walk up and say, hey, I like your shirt. There are a lot of cool shirts in this room this morning. I, I, I want to tell you, don't ever underestimate the power of encouragement. There's so many people getting in the wrong things because it's the only place where they're finding encouragement. I tell you, there's so many girls whose lives have been decimated because a guy knew what to say to her, but it was only because he was wanting something from her. And we as the church need to be people who give encouragement for free, no strings attached, only because we want to launch people into their destiny. You want to raise up a righteous generation of young women, let's encourage them. You want to raise up righteous young men to do the right thing, let's encourage them anything we see them doing right. And watch them do it more and more and more. Let's be a church of encouragement. But the next thing, you know, you say, well, I, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know how to impact someone. Here's an easy way. Just serve them. Your heart is for the next generation. Then, then serve in our children's ministry. Just, just show up and serve. Kids need people who love them. And, and, and man, I do not. I don't say this because we got to take care of child care so us adults can come in and do our thing in big church. Oh, don't get me started on, on that. No, I, that's church back there. Right, I actually, a lot of times, I think that's more important than what's happening in here. Why? Because kids' hearts are so soft. You know that 83% of Christians make decisions to follow Jesus before they're 14 years old? Why? Because their hearts are so tender. Our hearts are so much harder in this room, aren't they? And we're so polluted by the world. That's where the soft, fertile soil is. I, as a person who sends a lot of people to the mission field, 
the, the, I think the majority of people that end up going to the mission field or end up as, as pastors and Christian workers, they heard God speaking to them when they were a child. So I, I believe what's going on back there in children's ministry, what goes on Sunday nights in our youth group, is every bit as important, maybe more important than what's going on here on Sunday morning. And so let's jump in. I want an inheritance in life. The only thing you can take with you to heaven is people. Right? You, we, we invest our time in so many other things that we won't be able to take to heaven, but you can take people to heaven. So invest, and you, and you say, you know, I, I, can't do, I can't do children, you know, I'm not a kid person. We'll, we'll jump in with our youth. We, we, we need more people investing in these awesome young ones. So after the service, if you're interested, meet Joel, meet his team at the Next Steps table and, and hear about how to sign up. You can do that with Nikki or my wife at the children's table. And you say, you know what, children aren't my deal, youth ministry, pie in my face, that's not my jam, you know. Well, how about our college students? Maybe they're a little more civilized. <laughs> just, just a little. Don't get prideful, college students in this room. I've been with you. <laughs> How about investing in them, you know? Or how about our young adults? How about, I can tell you, there's a lot of young adults in here that they, they might be adults, but inside they feel like a, a child still saying, is there, is there a mom, is there a dad who will affirm me? Is there someone older who will speak identity into my life? I, I tell you, I meet people that are in their 50s and 60s and they're still wondering, does dad like me? Does mom care about me? I tell you, it's about investing in the next generation. No matter how old you are, there's someone that needs to be invested in, right? And you say, well, Robert, I've only been a believer for seven days. Well, someone's been a believer for one day. You're seven times more mature than them. God wants to use you. We need people investing in this next generation. I guarantee you, you'll never regret it. And then some, some in this room say, you know, I, I need the manual. Like, I, I can't do anything without being more trained. Well, I actually brought a manual today. I wrote a book. And um, I'm not going to get rich off this book. I'm selling it for $2.99 on Kindle. Uh, it costs $2.67 to actually put a book on Kindle. So I think I get 23 cents uh, if you buy it. But here is a book on making disciples. We've made it really simple for you to learn to invest. If you, if you don't use a Kindle, you can buy it for $5 out there. That doesn't even cover our costs. And if you don't have the money and you want it and you'll actually read it and use it, you can have it for free. We are serious about equipping people to make disciples. You say, you know, I'm actually not a book person. Well, are you an app person? We created an app. Let me just tell you, you're not getting out of here without, <laughs> without learning to make disciples. We have an app in the app store called Make Disciples. It's also online. You don't like apps, you can get it on the website, uh, makedisciples.me. If you can open up an app and just have a person, get one person sit next to you, you can make disciples. You can do this. You can change someone's life. So let me just end with this. We've been talking a lot at church about the crises of our day. We've been talking about the racial strife of our day in our nation. But when I see our young people who, let me just tell you, are living in more painful and chaotic times than any generation in this room. But when I see them coming from 38 different nations, from different economic strata, from different ages, 
but the way they're loving each other. When I think about them being the leaders of this world and the next generation, I think this world's going to be a better place. And we've been talking about the, the, the sexual moral crisis going on, the abased sexuality, the out of control, the, the evil and perversion that's going on. But when I watched these youth, how they treated each other at this camp, and when I saw how these guys are, are, are treating these women with respect, and I'm watching these women, and there's no, like, sharkiness in the room, I think, you know what, this next generation has a chance. If these guys are the leaders, this next generation can change. And, and then when I... When I think about the violence, when I think about the refugee crisis, when I, I think about the, the, the upheaval around the world, and then I see these guys' passion for Jesus and their desire to do something in their generation, I think the world is going to be a better place if more people like this become the leaders of this next generation. I'm excited by what I see, but I just believe this is the beginning. I believe God is calling us as a church to be intentional about raising up the next young men and next young women to impact this world for the glory of God. It's Jesus' method. I want it to be ours too. Amen? Amen. Why do we stand up? So I have a question for you this morning as we end our time. Who's your Timothy? Who is your Timothy? And if, another way to say it is if we were Barnabas, who's your Paul? Who is someone that you see that has potential, but maybe no one else is going after them? You know, I remember my mom hearing a message like this and her saying, wow, within my own family, my, I have some, some nieces that they don't know Jesus. They, both of their parents have died. Who's going to invest in them? I'll do it. So she started a, a, a monthly meal at her house and then offered to, to disciple and take these girls that weren't walking with Jesus into her heart, do a Bible study, and teach them how to pray. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe there's a, a younger person in your family that you can disciple. Maybe there's a person in your neighborhood. You're just thinking, wow, yeah, this kid that lives next door, they drive me crazy. Maybe God's letting them drive you crazy so you can do something about it. Maybe it's some, someone in your workplace. Now, they might not be a youth, but you're in a workplace and there's someone younger and you just know, man, they're calling out. They need help. They need an older brother. They need an older sister. Who is your Timothy? Who is the person you're investing in? And please, by all means, do it in this church. We desperately need it. Discipleship is our methodology. If you don't like discipleship, you're actually not going to like this church because we want to do things Jesus' way. And Jesus was all about simple investment in someone else. Jump into our children's ministry. Jump into our youth ministry. Jump into our college ministry. Invest in our young adults. Invest in someone in your life group. So I just want to say, close our eyes for a minute. And I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to just put faces in our mind. And high school students and junior high school students, I want you to do this. I want you to do it. You're not going to wait until you're our age. I want you to do it now. Who is someone younger that you can invest in? Ask for a name. Or maybe it's, just a, maybe it's a group. Maybe it is just getting involved in serving 
in one of our ministries. But I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak, and then I want you to write it down, either on a piece of paper or on your phone. Lord, speak to us now. I pray that every single person in this room will have someone or some group that they are going to sow their life into. And this is what I want to do to end the service. This is a little different, but students, I just want you to uh, to come out and, and line up in these aisles, okay? Would you do that? Just line these aisles from, from down here to all the way in the back. And um, I want us to, to show our support to our youth by just getting around them. And, and so put plenty of space between you. Go all the way to the back. Brandon, if you can help me do that. And Lewis, can you help to send people all the way to the back, all the way to the front? Make plenty of space. And uh, this is what I want you to do. I want you, if you're anywhere close, I want you to just go and uh, here, come up to the front as well, guys. Make a line. Make a line up front. Can I just have congregation, can you just go out and if you know one of these guys, even if you don't, can you put your hand on one of them and we're just going to pray for these youth. I want every single youth to have someone's hand on their shoulder. Doesn't matter if you know them or not. Can you just... I know it's a little chaotic, but can we get around these youth right now? I don't want any youth. There's some youth up here. I need some people to come down here, and I want you to just speak a blessing over them. You're going to say, I bless you in the name of Jesus, and pray that God would strengthen them. Pray for their purity. Pray that they'd have grace to live in this immoral society, pure unto God. Pray that they'd be bold. Pray that they'd be people who win their friends to Jesus. Pray that God would put his fire in their hearts, that they would burn with passion for Jesus. Just start praying, church. I want to hear you praying. I want to hear you praying loud. We want to contend. This is worth fighting for. We yell for our team in a football game. This is our team. This is the team we're believing for. Let's pray. Let's call out. And Joel, why don't you just come up wherever you are? Joel Sanders, why don't you come up and do this? We're going to agree with you. Oh, I think he's already out. He's out? John Ferreira. John, come on up. I want you to pray. And let's just agree with John as he prays over these youth to end our service.